and welcome to episode number 96 of the Haskin Cast podcast, where I, this week, take on the mighty Sarah Rudin and her baton twirling podcast. I have to say that I have gained so much respect for this art. It's something that it was just never really on my radar. I knew it was a thing, but I never paid a lot of attention to it. And uh, when I met Sarah, I found out that she did that, kind of looked into it a little bit. And I thought, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Um, Known her for years, but I have to laugh a little bit at myself for a minute because when I uh, did the interview with her, Last week, and I brought her on the show, and I'm doing my uh, intro for her, and you'll hear it in a minute. Um, I, I kind of stumble over her name a little bit, and it's because I knew her uh, before she got married, and her single name, uh, last name, was popping into my head at the same time I was trying to say her name. So I kind of stumbled a little bit there, uh, and um, so that's why you'll hear that. But you know what? I'm not perfect, and if I laugh at myself a little bit, I think that's great. I probably do it more than I should. But anyway, it was a great interview. I had a fantastic time talking to Sarah. Uh, Go listen to her podcast. She's a great interviewer. Um, Her guests are fantastic. It's a really good show, and you will learn a lot about this art. Now, when we talk about baton twirling on the show, it kind of sounds like it's like Morse code, like it's gone way out of the the range of, of people doing this. There are a lot of people that still twirl batons. It's just not so prominent in the public eye anymore. You don't see it at sporting events like you used to. Um, the NFL doesn't have it anymore. And we talk about that. Um, so uh, it's not like it's some archaic thing. It's it's still going on. It's just uh, not so much in the limelight. And I think it's a great thing, like learning a musical instrument, like learning how to dance, like, uh, you know, cheerleading or any anything that's a physical activity that uh, really helps you build your hand-eye coordination, helps you really build your uh, team spirit and, and learning to work with other people when you're doing uh, shows, learning how to work hard and practice and develop a routine. So it works not only your physical side, but also your intellect, because there's so much that goes on to that. And to get to the point where you can do that stuff, it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of hard work. And I really respect anybody that does anything that takes that sort of um, dedication and hard work and focus. And, you know, you could take people that shoot bow and arrows. You could take people that uh, do different Olympic sports and and you can really appreciate the hard work that goes into being good at any of those things. And even if you're not great at it. If you do it because you enjoy it, you're still getting the intellectual, you're still getting the physical, um, and you're having fun. Obviously, you don't get into something like this because you think you're going to be a millionaire. You do it because you enjoy it, because it makes you feel good, and it's helping develop a lot of skills that you may not have other avenues to develop. So it's a really, really cool thing. And uh, when Sarah told me that she had started a podcast, I was all excited. She had a few episodes up, and I just binged them all in, in like two days. And uh, really, really enjoyed her show. I think she's fantastic. And uh, go check it out. Even if you're just a little bit curious about baton twirling, it's a great thing to uh, to listen to her show and hear how passionate people are about it, hear their stories about what they've been through to uh, be able to do what they love doing. And uh, and it's a great thing. So uh, go check it out. Go check out uh, Sarah's stuff. Uh, the links are in the show notes. She's an absolutely wonderful person. I've known her for a lot of years now. 
I just realized that. And, uh, and, and it was absolutely fantastic to talk to her. So uh, I will bring on her interview in just a moment. Apart from that, I want to thank everybody who has left feedback, left ratings, shared the show, uh, you know, those star ratings on iTunes and, and different places. iTunes is really probably the most important. iTunes, I say iTunes because I'm old school. It's like I had records, and LPs, and I had eight track cassettes at one point. Um, I suppose calling a, a new album an album is just the same as calling it iTunes when you really mean Apple Podcasts. I still listen to my podcast through iTunes, um, but through my phone, I think it's actually through Apple Podcasts. And that is where I found Sarah's show, The Baton Twirling Podcast. Absolutely wonderful. Go check it out. But thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. For those of you that have given me ratings, uh, for those of you who have sent in questions, left feedback, any any interaction, I have been very, very uh, grateful to receive and to respond. And a uh, couple of uh, couple things coming up. Obviously, we're heading to our 100th episode. And just as it kind of turned out, I've got a couple of uh, film composers coming on the show uh, before we get to episode 100. And I had uh, great conversations uh, with them. I, I have one uh, that I still have yet to record. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. Uh, really, really great stuff and a little more closer to something that I'm a little more knowledgeable in. Uh, you would think that I'm an expert in baton twirling, but I'm not. I very much not, uh, but I, I very much respect the art. And so without further ado, here is Sarah. Ladies and gentlemen, I know I say this every week, but I am very excited to bring on my guest. She is uh, just one of the sweetest uh, people that you will ever meet, and she's incredibly talented, very caring, and... She's a podcast host, and you know I love turning the table and interviewing people who interview other people. That's just fun for me. I don't know why. But here she is, Sarah Rudin, and she's here to talk about her show and uh, baton twirling and all these amazing things that uh, that need some attention. Sarah, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Now, this isn't the first time you've been interviewed, but how does it feel to be on the other side of the table for a change? I actually like interviews, whether I'm interviewing for something or being or interviewing someone else. So um, I actually like being asked the questions because it kind of keeps me on my toes and keeps me uh, <laughs> keeps me fresh, I guess. Yes. Well, you are the host of the Baton Twirling podcast, which is the only baton related podcast that I was able to find. Is that really the only one? It's true. That's the only one. Is it? Do you think that it's it's a, a kind of a lost art? Is it not as popular as it used to be? So it's it's kind of strange because it lost its popularity a lot during the 2000s, especially kind of when the internet started getting more popular. And um, there was a lot of pushback using the internet or anything technology related. I kid you not, at our baton contest, we still use paper for almost everything. Mm -hmm. And I actually created one of the first um, widely used forms for contest entries. Oh, So people were, <laughs> people were using, um, they had to go get money orders from the bank in order to send that in. And I was like, why aren't you using PayPal? And they're like, you don't know if they're going to put that money in your bank. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, they will. I promise you, you're probably more protected. You can lose a money order, but you 
won't really, <laughs> the odds of losing a PayPal payment are very low. Very low. Tell me, do they, do they do their accounting with an abacus as well? You know what? Okay. Funniest thing ever. <laughs> Almost. Um, you know, those calculators that have the paper roll, uh-huh. we use those. Okay. No joke. I had to ask somebody, I was like, oh, wait, what do I do with this? It's not calculating. They're like, oh, you have to push this button again. And then it zeroes it out. I, like, yeah. They're a little oh bit different. The, the old adding machines. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think at some point I had one, but I don't know why I would have had one. Right. It's, I have one downstairs and I'm like, somebody please take this. I'm never going to use this unless it's for a baton competition. Right. And even so, I'd probably just do it online somehow. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to think that we just save those things for museums and props and films uh, that are, you know, like uh, from the past. Yeah, it'll be like worth a million someday. They're like, wow, what's this calculator with paper? Well, someday that could be the very last calculator with paper in existence. So you never know. <laughs> I'm going to hang on. We might be getting close to that now. Uh, Yeah. So here's the thing. When I think baton twirlers, I think high school marching band. I think uh, competitions. But it's really, it has been a much bigger thing than that, hasn't it? Yes. um, A lot of the, um, a lot of the twirlers now, we actually do more competitions. Uh, You'll still see it in high schools. Um, Some of the high school band directors, uh, actually still allow it. Um, we, we actually fight with a lot of the high school band directors to allow us to have it. Um, but then you'll see like the college twirlers and that's kind of where you've got half and half. You've got the white boots and, you know, baton in the air type thing. And then you have the girls who are flipping over themselves like four times in order to catch the baton that was you know flung in the air. Wow. Uh, so there's like a huge difference between the two and, um, depending on which college you go to, um, you can see those differences. If I flip over once, it's because I lost my balance. That's <laughs> <laughs> about the best I can do. But it really is an amazing art. It takes an incredible amount of focus, uh, uh, just a mm-hmm. lot of blocking everything else that's going on around you. And I, I think that uh, it, that's got to be a high pressure thing when you're out in competition. It's it's really interesting. So when I was younger, uh, I never really felt pressure for anything. And then when I started competing, probably until I went to college, um, it was always like, okay, you go to practice and practice is where you earn the trophies and the contest is where you go pick them up. And mm-hmm. so it, the only nerve wracking thing was like, am I going to win this time or is somebody else going to win? And then when I went to college, you think it would be a little more nerve wracking twirling in front of 10,000 people mm-hmm. or more than that, depending on where you are. And then it's almost like everybody just kind of blocks out and it's just you and the baton and you've been practicing probably 20 hours a week anyway. And so (laughs) it just, it's very um, routine or like literally routine at that point. And uh, it's really fun. Like it is not scary or anything at that point. So I'd say competition one-on-one in front of the judge was probably a little more nerve wracking. And then you move on to college and it's just, fun at least it was for me well that's cool and, and it and it takes that certain uh dedication to stick with it to get to college and, and still be doing it because i would imagine a lot of people stop after high school yeah and it's so sad because 
uh, a lot of the people who have dropped out, um, there used to be an age limit in twirling. So if you twirled until you're 25, people were like, oh my gosh, that's so old. And now people are coming back now that the age limit has been lifted. And so more people are coming back and there. I actually have an episode um, coming out in the next couple of weeks with somebody who's um, over the age of 50. And she came back and started twirling again. And she was like, it's so weird twirling with the younger girls, but it's so fun. She's like, I'm back in it and I'm learning how to do it again. So we're starting to see more people uh, reaching out to um, coaches and asking like, hey, do you have an adult class? Like, could I do this as an actual like workout or something that an older person does? So wow. I'm starting I'm starting to open up those locally. It's it's really interesting. I never thought I would like start teaching grownups how to do it too. I like that though. And and I would imagine yeah. that there's a, there's something that the grownups are learning from the younger kids and something that maybe the younger kids are learning from the grownups, because I would imagine techniques have changed, new things have developed and some of the older methods maybe have been forgotten. Oh, that, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I, I actually teach somebody on takelessons.com and while we're talking, I explained to her why stuff works the way it does, like why you, why your baton will go up higher if you get it off your thumb versus if you're pinching it with your fingers. And she's twirled before. She knows how to twirl. She doesn't know why everything works the way it does because she just did it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the teachers were like, this is the way you do it. This is this is what it looks like. But they never explain like the physics behind it or how it works. And I'm a very kinesthetic learner, so I have to do something and I have to understand why it works the way it does so I can explain it to other people. Right. Yeah. I mean, people have asked me, how can you do four different things at the same time as a drummer? And I can't I can't explain that. It's just something that I just learned to do. I don't even know how I learned to do it. And (laughs) I don't, I can't really explain, well, while this limb is doing this, you know, and here's what you focus on. And like, it's just such a natural thing that I would not be, uh, I would not be one to explain the dynamics of, of the, the actual practice of being a drummer. And it's so funny because my whole kinesthetic learning background, um, the compound effect. So like you start learning one thing and then you kind of add on another one Mm -hmm. and then you start doing both of those and you start adding on another one. And it's just this like continuous roll of all your talents becoming habits. And then all of a sudden you can do four things at once. And people are like, wait, show me how to do that. And you're like, no, 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 no. It takes like hours of practice. You have to seriously practices. Yeah. Well, in, in baton twirling, I would imagine, and I have to say, I'm, I'm probably going to preface everything with, I imagine, because I've never done it, but uh, <laughs> I, I would That's think totally that fine. there's a, there's a combination of the focus on what you're doing with the baton and maybe less focus on the stance of your body because you're, you're automatically positioning, positioning yourself where you need to be and moving where you need to move physically, uh, automatically as you're focusing on the baton. So it's really interesting because your body actually has a ton to do with what your baton does. So mm-hmm. if you think about it, um, your baton wants to fall on the floor. That's what everybody's waiting for to happen. Like if you're at a football game, no matter where you're watching a twirler, when that baton goes in the air, the first thing you're thinking is like, is she going to drop it? Mm-hmm. And it's all literally your baton. So like when we let it go and it goes straight up, that's because your body was perfectly positioned in order to let it go up. And if your hand's out any, then your baton's going to fly forward. If it's over to the side, it's going to fly to the side. So your body actually has a ton to do with the actual um, technique and fundamentals of how baton works. And 
when I'm showing the little kids, oh my goodness, they're like, just, just show me how to toss it in the air. And I'm like, I am, but you have to, you know, that same thing with the compound effect. Like we got to start with our elbow next to our side and you got to put your hand in front of your belly button. They, they don't really understand that if you don't have those fundamentals, it's not going to look good. So. Oh, absolutely. And that certainly makes a lot of sense. But what I'm getting at is, is it, is it a conscious thing that you consciously move your body or is it something that you just kind of naturally position your body and you're really not thinking consciously about what you're doing? Like, I don't think about hitting the bass drum every time I hit it or hitting the hi-hat every time I hit it. I just, that's the groove I'm in. I know like where I'm headed. So is it, is it, do you get to a point where it's really, you're not even thinking about your body, you're just moving into those positions? Yes, actually. Okay, I see like the unconscious confidence yeah. thing where you just do it because that's how you, your body does it. Um, I actually have kids, like the little ones are always pointing out um, something I do. So I'll be standing there and I'll throw my baton over my shoulder and I call it my standstill trick because I'll do it without even realizing it. And they're like, whoa, how'd you do that? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and they're like, you were like rolling it. And I'm like, uh, was it this? And they're like, how do you not remember that you're just throwing your baton over your shoulder? <laughs> and right. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I totally get it. get that. It's uh, it, yes. At a, at a point in time, you start just kind of doing tricks because, um, as the baton twirler, I guess like we all like to fidget a lot. And so if our teacher's talking to us, we know if we're like twirling our baton still, and we can pay attention easier. At least I could because I have ADHD. <laughs> I am pretty sure I have ADHD. So I'd sit there and I'd like twirl my baton so I could focus on that so I could actually listen to what my teacher would tell me. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, yeah. that's what I mean. Like it really is a very involved thing. It looks, you know, when you look at it visually, it looks like a very simple thing. Yes, there's a lot of twirling. You have to get your fingers in that motion to keep things moving. But it looks very simple. But behind the surface, I'm sure it's not even close. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to answer because I'm like, but it is so simple for me because I'm doing <laughs> it for so long. But well, no, yeah. I totally get it. It's uh, it's it, it it takes a long time to get to that point. So, um, when kids do stuff, like I can see if they're about to hit me with a baton, and that's that's a very you know talented thing to be able to do. Mm-hmm, really, <laughs> to be like. Stop curling your baton first. Up. Like hold it still so you don't hit anybody. Um, but if it's like an older person, they're doing that. Um, they could be twirling right next to my face, and if I, if I can see their technique is correct, I don't get scared or anything. I'm like, okay, cool. They know what they're doing. Wow, uh, that's that's a certain level of trust, though. I mean that yeah. <laughs> that can't be easy in the beginning. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Is this one of those things that you really have to start young to be good at, or is it something that you really can start later on, you know, even in your teens and still uh, be able to get in touch with uh, a good level of skill? So I actually think this one has multiple answers, and but I think the most common one is it depends on your coach. Mm. And it, it also depends on if your coach understands technique well. Um, I've seen little girls, who can do the most amazing things like stuff I probably couldn't even do. And then I've seen older girls who these little girls could like come and just sweep the floor, um, you know, with their talent. And um, so it really, it depends on the coach, but the common age I've really seen where like they start picking it up really quickly, especially if you can explain it well, is around like seven or eight years old. Like they, it's something clicks. And I think it has a lot to do with, um, what is that like occupational therapy um 
I forget what the actual term is or like what it would be called, but my son does occupational therapy and she explains stuff to me and I'm like, Oh, I use that in baton twirling. That makes sense that a seven year old would be at this level and an eight year old would be at this level. And, and then if I'm teaching a grown up, a class that would take me 30 minutes to teach a six year old would take me five minutes to teach the grown up. So it really, a lot of it has to do with um, your motor skills. That's the word I was looking for. So, um, depending on your level motor skills and then how well your coach can teach it to you. So it's sort of more the cognitive side of the brain that, uh, that yeah. really drives that. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. But is it is it something that you can, you can really do a lot of practice on your own, just like you could uh, a piano and really get mm-hmm. good at it. But if you're developing techniques where your body posture is wrong and you don't have somebody there uh, like an instructor to point those things out, you could really be setting yourself up for some serious injury. Yes. As you were saying that, I was already cringing. Oh. If you're going to practice, make sure you're doing it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- I think there's like a fine line. So um, if you learn the basics and then you can have somebody you go to, to kind of explain like, oh, do this to make sure this is correct. Um, if you're older, it's a little bit easier to correct, even if you have developed habits. But um, throughout the teen years, like the stuff that you do constantly, you're going to do that all the time. And even my little kids, um, if they do something wrong, um, then I'll say, go back two tricks and do that whole series again, because the way you practice is the way you're going to perform it. Right. And even if they're like, no, it's not. And they go out and do it and they're like, okay, I'll do it correctly next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really depends. I, I, I would say it has to do a lot with, um, I mean, you could, you could go online and learn stuff. I'm actually creating an online course that kind of takes you through the fundamentals. And then there's probably going to be a Facebook group or something. And I want to do a beta test with a lot of people just to verify that, you know, what I, what I need to focus on. Um, Because once they look at the videos, I don't want them to just go, okay, I got it. I'm good. I want them to be able to have um, coaches. I'm going to get, find a bunch of baton twirlers. Um, who are currently coaches, and then have them in the group too. So somebody could upload a video and say, my thumb toss isn't going straight up, or my roll isn't going, you know, it's not smooth, it's not going over my arm, it's like falling to the ground, and having coaches on there that can explain, okay, this is what this is, and this is how you do it correctly. So that way they still get the feedback, and they can still practice that on their own, so they don't have to show up to a class every week or, um, you know, it's that online learning that's getting really popular now. Well, that's great because the the thing that I think of a lot of times is I just see people in, in not just this, obviously, but all kinds of mediums, just going to YouTube, watching people do what they do, try to mimic them and think that they have it and yeah. not really having that, you know, Hey, I need to look at your form. I need to make sure that your spine isn't, you know, bent up nasty in a nasty way. That's going to cause you a problem in two or three years. You know, I yeah. mean, th- those things are so important. Or even if you're just slightly off kilter, um, you reach, you have to stretch to catch it and you could hurt yourself. I mean, there's so much yeah. to it. Um, yep. but I was curious, uh, about the baton itself is it, are they weighted specifically for different, uh, like strengths or are they, is there just like, this is the baton? No, they're all weighted, um, a little differently depending on the size. And I believe the weights are at the end. So I was talking to somebody and they said their baton was so old that, um, when they picked it up, the weight came out. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I've never actually seen it. Um, but it's, it's really interesting if you hold it in the middle, can hold it on your finger and balance it in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's not like 
a broomstick or something like that. Even though I could, I mean, I could go and twirl a broomstick, but um, getting used to the weight of the baton is actually one of the things that we first learn. So they know why it's falling a certain way or why they can put it on them a certain way and it'll stay. Well, I think that you have just come up with a potential act for Halloween if you have any competitions <laughs> coming up. Uh, but do, uh, now the ends of it though, the ends are concave, right? Or are they flat? So the ends are kind of like a, a bulb almost, um, <laughs> depending on which one you have, they started making new types of batons. Um, but if you go actually research it, it almost, um, I'm trying to think of what it looks like. It's like a, it's almost like a cone, but then it kind of has like a mushroom top. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes any sense. Yeah. And then one end is actually bigger than the other. So you think that would like mess up the balance, but right. um, I think that's what, where the weights come in. So like the bigger end and the little end, like everything's still balanced in the middle. Right. Yeah. They would counterweight with a little extra on the smaller end. Um, but yeah. still, it seems like if the, if the shape is not um, symmetrical, it seems like it would be less aerodynamic. Yeah, I've never really thought about it like that. Actually, if they're the same size, um, depending on the weight of the rest of the baton, like the actual shaft of the baton, um, we have like, a, for example, I have a glow stick baton, mm -hmm. and it lights up on. It's not really glow stick; they're like it's a LED lights on the end, right? And the entire middle of the baton, which we call the shaft. Um, is weighted differently than a normal baton. And it also has like this plastic cover on it. Mm -hmm. um, so the ends are exactly the same. And when you throw it up, it's almost more effort. Um, so that, oh, you know, and that's where the aerodynamics come in because the big end almost takes it up higher uh, when you t when you toss it. Right. So the way that we toss it off our thumb, it's um, re the revolutions take it higher than if you had equal weight on everything. Well, that makes sense. And and boy, if there's if there's anything that we love doing in this world, especially in the last few years, if we can put lights on every inanimate object, we're going to do it. <laughs> I was just yes. at, uh, at the musical uh, instrument trade show in Anaheim last weekend, and I, I they had tambourines that were lighting up. They had, you know, all these like everything had to have a, a lighted option. And I thought this is this is just kind of going too far. But for something that you're going to use in a competition or in a performance uh, like that, that's going to be flying around like I could actually mm -hmm. see that being kind of cool as long as it doesn't throw you off, because now you're you're changing the weight, but you're also changing the apparatus as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine you have to get used to moving uh, one with lights on it, almost like a new instrument. Yeah, it would be a completely different feel. You could probably pick it up quickly. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the little kids do better with the lighted baton. I don't know if it's just because of the grip and the weight, but um, and then the fact that it lights up. But they seem to do better with it. Like, they pay attention more because uh, it's different than the metal. So, mm -hmm. like, the metal baton slips around, does all this stuff. So, the, um, the bigger one, they can twirl it a little bit better, but they can't move it better if that makes any sense it does yeah and i think there's probably some sort of like internal charge with hey i'm throwing this lighted <laughs> yeah. thing around it looks cool you know as opposed to just this plain old unlit baton mm -hmm. um now in in general it's a fairly would you say it's a fairly isolated thing baton twirling because i mean it's in competitions or at least with uh 
you know, some of the high school marching band stuff that I've seen done, it really can be a group thing as well. Right. So when I was in college, um, I trolled with 16 other girls. And um, so we usually had two captains and then a bunch of trailers. Um, I think they've changed it since. But um, if you go look up old uh, University of Arizona uh, trailing line, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see like a ton of girls doing it all at once. And it was so neat because you could see them all doing the same exact move on the field. And it was something super simple. But it looks so intricate because it was one with the music. So we would choreograph it or choreograph it to the actual music. Mm -hmm. And then we would all do it at the same time. So it just like gave you this chill when it happened because um, we would all do the simple move that uh, moved our entire body at one time. So that in the group aspect, uh, we those girls are like my sisters, like if you even get down to the nitty gritty of it. Um, and then competition, uh, that one was a little more isolating, but I think it was important to have the friends because if you didn't have the friends, um, then it, it was like, why are you here? <laughs> why are you doing it? It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're not really going to make a ton of money with the ton twirling. I could probably count on my hands, like how many people have made a career of it. So it was just. Uh, and, you know, you really had to love the sport, first of all, to do it. Right. And if you're going to love the sport, you better have had friends or it was going to be super boring. <laughs> so it, was, right. it was nice to in that aspect. So, yes, we did compete against each other. But having those competitors um, made us stronger twirlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we saw some girl, we're like, oh, we're tired. And the girl's like, I'm going to do another solo. We're like, well, so am I. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it really helped motivate um, all of us. And even though we were girls and there was drama, it was like, I look back and I'm like, oh, they're like my sisters. So, Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I think anything that um, isolates a group of people to a specific uh, event or a skill or something like that, where there's not a lot of people that could really understand what it's like to be a baton twirler unless you were a baton twirler. So you're going to have that bond with those people because you can explain it to me and I'll have a certain level of understanding, but I'll never know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And those people will. And I think that those things really do build some strong bonds. Yeah. Even in the baton twirling world, um, if you knew a baton twirler who actually competed, there's probably a 90% chance um, that I know her and probably a 97% chance that I could figure out who she knew that I knew, like the um, levels of separation or right. whatever that's called. Yeah, the si- <laughs> like six, six degrees death, of separation. Six yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sep- yeah, degrees of separation. There's like one. Everybody knows each other. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, because there might it might be a widespread thing, but it's still kind of a small community when it comes to oh, very you know, small, who yeah. knows who. So when when you are doing the synchronized work, I, I obviously you're syncing it to music. So is that really the anchor? You don't have to watch each other and see if you're doing things at the same time because you're counting the beat. Um, it depends, <laughs> and I, I laugh because um, I grew up uh, doing music my whole life, so I knew how to count music. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some twirlers who didn't know how to count music, so they would rely on their peripheral. Uh, making sure that they're doing something at the same time. And regardless of who you are, I would say most people, even if they don't know it, they can feel a beat. 
So then, like, if you're able to watch somebody doing it at the same time, then if you can hear the beat, then it made it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, we had, like, if the music cut out, we would have to all watch each other and make sure we were all doing it at the same time. Oh. And we always had, like, one, it was almost like a flock, you know, like the, the flying bee. Like, we would watch the person in the front. Like, we all knew who we were supposed to watch because that person now ha- was in charge of everybody twirling together. Right. Well, you have to be prepared for those kind of emergencies because if you oh, can't all the hear time, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you can't hear it, the whole thing falls apart unless there's something else to line it all up. Right. Yeah. And I would imagine that probably happened more often than not. Oh, it's happened so many times. <laughs> it's almost like you're just kind of used to it, mm-hmm. especially in college, because we would. Uh, one, we would hear like a fight song or a song that we had a routine to, and it was almost automatic. Like we would just, okay, start at this part. Um, but then there were times when we would spread out and we may be able to hear it, or we may just like be on the floor in, um, in a basketball game and the music cuts out. We would know, okay, do this pose and then pose to the end. Mm-hmm. And everybody would do it together. And the way that we could do it, we could do it so slowly that we could all watch each other because we'd have to turn to the side. So we'd all follow the girl in and make sure we all, you know, did this slice together or like did this like flourish together. So it was all like, oh, we totally planned into it like this. So um, a lot of it had to do with watching, but also understanding like the music and the mm-hmm. counts to the music. Well, sure. But wouldn't wouldn't there be an extra level of challenge because now you can't pay attention as much to what you're doing because now you have to watch everyone else. And that really limits your, your visual visibility to what your own performance is. Um, yeah, if we were all doing the same thing, most likely if we were doing the same thing, it would be, it would be very easy to figure out. Um, if you're doing your own thing, like I could go out and you could just throw on a song and I could pretend like I've known this song in routine forever and you would have no idea. Right. Um, so I, I think it had to do with uh, your talent level um, and how comfortable you were with those types of situations, which has actually helped me like a lot in life, like fake it till you make it. Really? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I've had people um, one time I was supposed to do this, uh, this entire routine for this group of people at a camp. And I'd been practicing to this one song. I knew the song like the back of my hand or. I don't know. I don't even know if that makes sense, but um, I knew the song really well. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> and um, so then I'm, I pose and they play the wrong song and I was like, whatever. And so I did it. And then afterward they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We played the wrong song. And the, you know, we thought it was this one. And it, it was like when we had CDs. So they were like, I pressed eight and this song came on. And I was like, and they were like, but you, you know, like I thought you said it was this track. And I was like, Oh no, it was the other track. And they're like, Oh, but you did a routine to that song. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. It's, you know, it's no problem. So, huh. um, it's just like handling stressful situations. Like, right. you know, there's 250 people watching me, but well, well. and it's like that moment where that other girl was like, well, I'm going to go out and do another thing. And you're like, well, I'll show her. Yeah. Like, you just <laughs> like, well, um, I got to go out there. So I guess I'll make it work. But that, yeah. that was something I was going to ask you is in competition, how much of it uh, or is any of it typically improv? Is it are there people that are just so comfortable that they can just go out and be in the moment? Or is it really kind of methodically planned the routine before you go in? Yeah, so we all 
are given routines. So there's um, different routines that we do throughout a competition. So we all are given routines. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we do them the same every time is kind of up in the air. Um, I probably never did the same routine twice on the competition floor. Um, there was one year where I practiced like crazy and all my routines were pretty much the same. Um, but there is that point where you just get so excited doing it that like you're anything can just like take you off um, whatever you're doing. So like the judge looks down at their score sheet or leans over to tell the clerk something. And in your head, you're like, did I do that thing? Wrong? And then you're like, wait, what trick comes next? So um, you had to like learn how to focus uh, on whatever you were doing. And because I had like zero focus um, when <laughs> stuff like that would happen, I was like, Okay, flip the baton here, flip the baton there. Oh, I'm back in my routine again. Okay, try not to get distracted again while I'm trying not to get distracted and telling myself not to. I'm getting distracted by thinking that. So that <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's why I need to practice this more. Picture is always the same when I do it. Right. But well, of course, and the more that you start thinking about distraction, the more you'll get distracted because you're so afraid <laughs> of, of being distracted. Exactly. Like my whole life, right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine too. It's it's a sadly vicious circle, I'm afraid. But that's yes. that's really interesting. I've always wondered that. It seems like you know, obviously, any major competition, I would think, would be at least intent. The intent when you go out there is, I've got my routine. I know what I'm doing. I know what I need to do to impress these judges. Mm-hmm. And there, it would be a little more uh, focused, whereas maybe some of the other stuff, you know, you're just like, hey, I'm just going to go out there and whatever I feel, that's what I'm going to do. But you have to be very, very comfortable with what you're doing to be able to go out there and do it. Yeah. One of the girls that I talked to um, in interviewed, she was telling me how she twirls for two different organizations. And there's one organization called the National Baton Twirling Association or MBTA. And they don't allow gymnastics. And so she usually trolls for USTA, which is the United States Trolling Association, and they allow gymnastics. So she has two sets of routines, one to do for USTA and one to do for MBTA. So she was at MBTA Nationals and trolling her, I think it was her college solo, and she tosses her baton and does a floor roll. Like she basically does a somersault oh. <laughs> and everyone in the, and you just hear this collective <gasps> because everybody was like, you just got disqualified. Right. And you just see it in her face. Like you, you see that like second where it's oops, but then she's like, oh, well, I'm already disqualified. Might as well make this entertaining and then just finish it out. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Right. And so, you know, things like that happen. Even the best twirlers in the world sometimes forget, like, oh, I'm at the right. Like, I was just so into my routine that I did the right thing. So it happens to all of us. It just, it just means that you're in the zone with what you're doing, but you've lost yeah. sight of why you're there doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, in the moment, that's understandable. I mean, what you've played in, you've worked in front of some huge crowds before. What were some of the bigger crowds that you've uh, that you've done this in front of? So there were, so the smaller big crowds, I'd say, were pageants, um, uh, high school football. The bigger ones were college football. And those are my favorite. Um, at, when we would march out there, there was this thing that they would do like a cadence and they would end the cadence and you just heard that echo of the drum and it was like that echo like echoed your heartbeat at the same time and it was just like so exciting 
and especially if it was like the very first game of the season, it was like, this is where it all starts. And I, I miss that feeling so much, but just hearing everybody screaming, there was probably like tens of thousands of people in the stands and you just see a sea of red and blue. So oh, I miss it so much, but I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's not any, that's not a moment that you can replace with anything and say, well, this is just as good because there's nothing that is exactly like that feeling. And yeah. knowing that you're you're going to be performing and entertaining, you know, ten thousand people, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Would you would you get nervous or would you get excited or some like excited nervousness? So I would get super excited and I could talk to all the people in the band. We have like two hundred and fifty people in the college band. And I probably had like four hundred in my high school band because it's Texas and um, right. <laughs> so I was used to those types of crowds, but it was so funny because my first day working like my big girl job, um, at actually Bank of America where we work, mm-hmm. um, my first day working there, uh, I had to get up and like talk about myself. And all of a sudden I felt myself getting flush and I was like, <laughs> what is this? Like, I, I had no idea what it was like to get like nervous talking in front of people. And I was like, what happened? I looked down and my, like, I had broken out in like hives because I was like so nervous. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Right. <laughs> so, like I've twirled in front of 10,000 people and I can't talk in front of 15. Like, I don't know what's happening. So yeah, it's weird. There's, there's a couple things I think to that because I've experienced similar things in life. And I find that, you know, as a drummer, I could always hide behind my drum set. I always had that between me and the band members, me and the crowd. You've got your baton in your hand. You're focused on what (laughs) you're doing. Now, all of a sudden, your hands don't have anything to do. And all the eyes are on you. And you're used to that part. But all of a sudden, you become very aware of your physical presence. Um, The first time I had to sing without uh, being behind the drums... I felt like my hands were huge. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know where my (laughs) arms should be. Like I was just completely out of my element. And I think that's it. It's, it's, it's not what you have to do. It's that you're not within that comfort zone of the things that you've become accustomed to. So you associate entertaining people or having the attention on you with baton twirling and having that act to perform. And now it's a hundred percent improv. There's no baton. People aren't waiting to go, ooh, they're just like, let's find out about this girl. Yeah, <laughs> that actually, that makes a lot of sense. Like I can, I could definitely track with that. That totally makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's a very different world. And by the way, I don't really sing without my drum set anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me with speeches. I'm like. I have my phone. I'm reading directly through my phone the entire time if I'm giving a speech. There you go. Yeah, I just talk to the ceiling. There's no one in the room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've actually, I've gotten okay. I mean, I've I've given, uh, like, I, I gave a sem- seminar at Comic-Con a few years ago on um, music and sound and film. And there was, you know, that was a full room and it was just me. And at first I was like, well, I thought there were going to be other people on this panel. And then it turned out it wasn't a panel. It was literally just going to be me. <laughs> I didn't find it out until like the minute I walked in the room. So uh, that was a little, I mean, fortunately I had enough. To, oh yeah. Just unexpected. I mean, fortunately I had enough to talk about and and now I'm a show host, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't have, I don't write questions down except for, you know, maybe a couple for some of the guests, but, uh, but yeah, everything's just kind of like a casual conversation. I've learned to be, uh, 
you know, have the focus on me without it, it being so bothersome and being out of my element. But just like anything else, that really took a, a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you feel when you're on your show? Like when you're interviewing somebody, is that, has that become like a very easy thing for you or is it still a little awkward? Oh yeah. From episode one, like, so I wrote, I actually wrote down my first episode and then I sat in my closet where I was, um, before I moved into this room, but right. I sat in my closet I'm by myself and I, and I, you know, read from the notes and I listened to it and I was like, Oh, that doesn't sound like me at all. Like this is not how I talk. So, um, I wrote down like bullet points and then I kind of just improved most of it. Um, so then I realized like, even when I talked to people, I'd have questions to ask them and we would just get off on a tangent talking. And then by the end, I was like, wow, I have like enough for the entire show. Like I didn't need to ask all these like canned questions. Right. Um, so it's very natural. And I realized a lot of it too is like, I was so afraid to start because I was like, oh, I want to sound so smart about this topic. And I, I want to make sure people like take me seriously. And then I did all this prep and planning for it. And I realized like, I've been doing this for like almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. I've got it. I just need to get it out there. Yeah. And I love the show. It's very entertaining. It's very informative. You're, mm-hmm. the, the thing is, is that when I listen to your show, I feel a passion coming from you about the topic. And I feel a passion coming from a lot of your guests because this is what they do or what they have done. And they've obviously worked hard. They've spent a lot of time at it. And you wouldn't do that if you didn't love it. Oh, yeah. And most people who are twirling, they do it because they love it. And I love working with the people, too, who are in it for the promotion of it. Um, When you get the people who are in it for their own glory or they're like, oh, there's not a ton of people in twirling, so I'm going to try to take over this or that. And it just almost ruins it. So, Oh, yeah. But it's not, uh, yeah. it's not like being a musician where you can say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into a band so I can be a famous rock star and make a, you know, right. millions of dollars. I mean, this isn't this isn't a big money thing. This is a I really enjoy doing this and I enjoy entertaining people doing what I love doing. Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. I'm like, I'm, I, at first I was like, sweet, I wonder if I'll get like anyone outside of my family listening to this, maybe some <laughs> of my friends on Facebook. And then like... Um, it was so funny. I got like a notification uh, from YouTube and it was like, so-and-so commented on your thing. And I was like, I don't know this person. And then I was like, I don't know this person. Yeah. So I was like so excited because I was like, wow, somebody else is actually listening. And I did it because I was like, we need more things out there because we always talk about how, you know, batons, batons are done before. It's um, a thing of the past. My grandma used to do it. And I was like, no, we have social media and the internet and podcasts. Like, why isn't anybody doing this? And I was like, maybe I should try it. And yeah. So I just did it. No, and it's good. And I love when people do something because it's it's organic. It's their passion. They want to spread the word about something that they love, knowing that they'll mm-hmm. find other people that will love it too. And obviously you have. But I, I really kind of lost on this thing being sort of a dying art. Is this not something that's done at like professional football games along with the marching band and the no. cheerleaders anymore? Not at all. It's so sad. I think like sometimes there's like guest performers, but uh, the NFL, I think, got rid of them. And I like I only know of somebody who did it in like I think it was the seventies, and it was my old twirling coach from U of A. Um, she talked about how she twirled with the lions like 
at a football game, but I was all, did you really, or did you like twirl on the sideline because they let you come for like one of the, you know, all the kids show up at the football game thing. <laughs> right. so, I was like, really? <laughs> or did you really go to the zoo when you were standing outside the lion cage? And, and Yeah, you'll, you'll see that a lot. And I think it's with every sport, but the people are like, I won this amazing title. And then you're like, really? Because I've never heard of that. <laughs> right. Or somebody's like, oh, I know this person who's won this and that. And then I'm like, that that's not real. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. real I was like, if you think that's real, Torlin, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, go look up this person. So I'm glad that I wasn't off in thinking that used to be done at the football games because I grew up uh, in Michigan and the Lions were our team. And I, I was never a huge football guy, but it seemed to me that at halftime and, you know, during the the little skits and things that they had baton twirlers out there, just like, uh, I don't know if, if is flag course still a thing in schools? Yeah, so that they're called color guard, and they twirl the giant flags on the poles, right? Um, and then sabers, and then like the rifles and stuff. So, baton twirling is sometimes a part of the color guard, but usually the color guard and the baton twirlers are separate, mm-hmm. um, depending on depending on who's leading it. Um, a lot of the co- color guard instructors either used to be twirlers or are good friends of twirlers. So what do you think it was that happened that started kind of uh, lowering the attention to this? Was it that it wasn't, uh, nothing was changing, there wasn't anything new and innovative, so it wasn't exciting, or it just phased out like disco, or what? (laughs) I think a lot of it had to do with um, the lack of technology. And it seems strange, because it's like, but, you know, technology, for me, it seems like 20 years ago wasn't that long ago, or even 25 years ago. Um, Because I still remember the mid '90s, and so when I think of technology, I was like, "Okay, '95." I think that's when the internet came out. Mm -hmm. But um, especially the the group I'm with didn't really take hold of technology, and they haven't really utilized it. And we keep um, the younger generation keeps telling them, "Like, hey, we have to use technology. Like, there's no way this is going to survive if we don't get it." Right. And the one of the groups um, kind of took that advice and actually ran with it. Um, I'm hoping somebody listens and they're like, actually, this is the reason that it's going away. But a lot of it too is um, band directors for whatever reason say that baton twirling just uh, detracts from the band. And so they don't like having twirlers. Like I had to fight to twirl in high school. It was a year long battle and he finally let me twirl and he would only let me twirl um, on the sidelines. Like I could twirl to the visitor side. Uh, after we did our show. So I had to be in my band uniform and they finally said I could just wear my twirling uniform when they saw me <laughs> literally strip out of my uh, band uniform mm-hmm. and run to the back. So then I could twirl, like I had my shoes on, or I had like black socks on over my shoes. So then I would take them off and then they saw how much work we were doing. And they also said it wasn't appropriate for, you know, a um, teenager quote unquote stripping to go to the other side of the football field. That just so. depends on what the band was playing. Yeah, that's true. It's like I could have got some like Barry White in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But you know, it's it's so interesting that that's the 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 thing that they go off of. And the reason that I say that is because as much as I grew up in the MTV 
generation. Okay, so I was mm-hmm. I was I was right at that age where I was really starting to appreciate music and finding my bands that I liked when MTV came out. So I grew up with that. Let's sit down every hour and see what the Rocket uh, says the videos that are that they're going to play this hour. And I mean, I was hooked that first couple years. Yeah. I was absolutely hooked. But I hate in a way that music is at all a visual experience. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're at a rock concert and you see the band, they're getting into it, they're headbanging, whatever, jumping around, like I get that component of it. But music, I can listen to Beethoven. There's no visual to Beethoven. And I can really appreciate every note. I'm not distracted by something visual. So to say that I don't want somebody twirling because it distracts from the band, that's <laughs> a weird thing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it just seems to me that it's it, music has become too visual and in a way, it's cool. I mean, marching bands are doing a lot of very cool, very crazy things. I, I can really appreciate that. But, it, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that visual side of it not being the music. Yeah. And uh, so my college, um, my college band director, uh, has, I think you I think we actually both know him. I think uh, Professor Reese, um, Jay Reese. Uh, that name brings a bell. Yeah. Brings a bell. A, guy, a music guy that like we, I think we both shared the, or you both shared the article and it was like for the same guy. And I was like, how do you know that guy? It was like Brian something. It could be. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> he He's the band director at Miami now. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, but he was, um, he, he like had all the, you know, he had 16 twirlers on the line and, um, really promoted it and kept it like made us part of the show. Like we weren't just on the sidelines. Like we marched with the band and we did things with the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a really cool visual with the twirlers. And I think if you can find the right person to coach it or even find somebody to like send you routines to do, um, I think you can really just make it part of the band and it's not, okay, everybody form a circle around the one twirler who's twirling and then right. like, run to the next circle and, you know, do their next trick. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, how is it any different from the cheerleaders? Oh, so <laughs> I was like, I could answer that technically, or if you were asking uh, rhetorically. <laughs> well, I, I guess kind of both really, because I mean, if you think about it, it's not like they're ever going to say, okay, we can't have cheerleaders because it distracts from the band. I, 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 I well, that's like yeah. a high school saying, well, we're going to get rid of sports and keep the band. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's never going to happen. Right. Yeah. We, so we had, um, the cheerleaders who came to our, um, our band practice once and they were like, they're joining pregame and pregame was basically, we would open like the football game. So like we would march onto the field and we would, you know, it was like the spectacular, you know, like Carrie Underwood singing. Oh, I don't even know if she does this anymore, but like Carrie Underwood singing the NFL stuff or like right. to open the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much what the band would do. They would like open the show for the football game to begin. Right. And the cheerleaders joined us at practice once and we were like, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> like, <laughs> we, you know, we've been practicing all semester. You can't just show up on a Friday and be like, we're doing this tomorrow. Right. Um, so we ended up, um, they also got scholarships. So that was also our other like pain point. Um, oh, <laughs> so, yeah. so we were like, cause they're part of athletics and we're part of, um, like music, the music department. Uh, really? so we, <laughs> yeah. So there's like a huge, there's actually a, when you said that, I was like, I think you were asking, you were saying it rhetorically, but it's actually literally, um, 
the cheerleaders are part of athletics um, in most colleges. I'd say all wow. colleges. I did not know that. Yeah. So they're completely separate like organizations. So the color guard and the palm line, though, granted, they have palms. They were actually more upset about the cheerleaders joining than we were. Um, but the palm line as part of the music department. So if you see a right. palm line at a school, they are part of the music department. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I don't know if they're allowed to cheer, but cheer is like a completely different um, athletic-based uh, sport. And I'm glad that you said that because I think we tend to lump in palms and cheerleaders as the same people because cheerleaders sometimes cheer with palms. But yeah. The palm girls, are they are a completely separate group of people. Yeah, most of them go on to be, like, professional dancers. So uh, the palm line, if you actually, like, Google, so I'm going to throw it out there, the Arizona um, palm line, if you go and watch, like, one of their basketball performances, I'm pretty sure you could either um, go on Facebook and look them up, Mm -hmm. or you could just look for it on YouTube. They are all phenomenal dancers. Uh, They hit everything at the same time. They're all... Um, you know, legs to the to their head, right? Like beautiful dancers. So, um, and then if you look up uh, U of A cheerleading, like those girls can do hookies or like where they jump and do like really crazy jumps and um, backflips and all that kind of stuff. And there may be an overlap a little bit, but that's kind of the difference. Like you have dancers, and then you have the people who are doing jumps and stuff like you would see at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Now, I, that was another question I was going to ask you was at, at one time or currently is twirling at all an Olympic sport? My heart. No. What the? <laughs> it is not. So it's 2020. Like, topic. I know. I'm sorry. Um, they are working towards it. So when we were little, we were always told like, if you work hard, then you won't make it to the Olympics because the Olympics won't in it. And so oh, that's we would always so lie. sad. I know it was like you have no future in the sport, and we're like, and that's why we do it for fun. So basically, um, there's there's no future. There's literally no reason to spend your time doing this, except that you <laughs> love doing it. Well, when you put it that way, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But they are fighting to get it into the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. So they have this group uh, that they're creating out of both um, MBTA and USTA, the two organizations here. And it's called like the World Federation Baton Twirling Association. It's like WBTF, something like that. Um, so they are actually doing stuff with the Olympic Committee and they're trying to get the rules in place so that we can actually start qualifying girls to go to the Olympics. And that's going to be a whole nother can of worms as to what determines actually qualifying, because since this is a new thing, then they're going to have to make uh, determinations on what that level is. Yeah. And as I, as you were just saying that I realized that's probably why baton twirling isn't more popular because it's not in the Olympics. It's like, what's the point? And so, you know, right. you get to go to college and uh, this is like terrible if people are listening, like, well, I'm not going to learn. Twirling. <laughs> but um, I think once it gets into the Olympics, we're going to start seeing an uptick of um, people joining our classes. Like I have uh, classes here locally in Austin and um, people are asking me to add more, 
But I know once the once it hits the Olympics, I'm probably going to have to hire like a full time staff to yeah to be like okay, let's start training for let's start training for 20 years from now. Well, you know what? I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, and I hope that's the case. I hope you get far busier than you can ever handle, and you have to bring on five <laughs> or six more teachers just because the volume is that big. But really, it's going to take one of two things, right? It's either going to take something crazy going viral. Or mm-hmm. some sort of huge media focus like the Olympics to really kind of kick things up. Now, I'm going to make a really weird comparison here. And and I hope mm-hmm. that you're not offended by the comparison I'm going to make because it's really the only thing I can think of. One of my ridiculously, I don't understand why guilty pleasures in this world is the <laughs> bring it on movies. I don't know why I like them. There's no reason for me to like them. Only because they're not my typical, like I'm not a big comedy fan. But yeah. for some reason, I love these movies. So what would it take to create a baton group that does things that are a little bit more extreme, tossing the batons to each other, you know, fireworks or whatever it is, and creating events like that, that people are going to go, wow, this is actually a spectacular <laughs> showcase. So we actually had a movie in the 80s, apparently. Somebody sent me a YouTube link to it, and I was like, this exists. This is amazing. Um, so there was a movie, I think it's called, I think I forget. It was like twirler or twirl or something like <laughs> I was that. I just going to say, please tell me it was called twirler. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I need to, cause it's, you know, I, I couldn't believe it existed. I didn't know about it, um, until recently. Uh, but yeah, they actually had a movie and then. Um, the funny thing about Bring It On is like my sister and I could probably quote that entire movie. And then we could also quote the entire movie that like made fun of all those teen movies. But oh, right. Yeah. Teen movie. Uh-huh. Oh, so when you said that, I just like started laughing immediately because I was like that opening scene. Um, my sister and I like, we'll just be we'll talk on the phone and also we'll start the song. I, I like I think my favorite one in that movie is a little cheer battle where the, the opponents are trying to bring him down and they're like, that's all right. That's OK, because we're going to pump your gas. You're going to pump our gas. Yeah, you're like, gonna that pump is our gas seriously my favorite line in that whole movie. <laughs> and, you know, and of course, you've got to have the love story and you've got to have the annoying brother or family member or something that kind of just, you know, keeps things rolling. But I thought. Despite the fact that it's a comedy, I thought it was actually a very well put together movie. But just mm-hmm. thinking along the competition side, those were some pretty amazing competitions that they were doing in that movie. And mm-hmm. obviously, those those people are really doing those flips and things. You know, that's oh, yeah. that was really impressive. I'd never seen anything like that before. So um, anybody listening to this, I would say Google uh, Savannah Miller and... I think she has like some or last I saw was like three million hits on YouTube. Um, most amazing twirl. I I watched her twirl since she was a little girl. Um, but my goodness, she has some amazing stuff. And then if you also, um, I'm trying to think of like the legends uh, growing up. Adeline Bebo, she was the one that I interviewed, and I was like, I could just watch her twirl forever. And <laughs> people are like, could you do that? And I'm like, nope. Wow. <laughs> so, she is fantastic. Um, and then uh, if you want to see some cool four batons, Savannah Miller is definitely uh, one to watch. And then uh, Carissa Wimberly is Carissa with a K. Uh, she twirled in college like um, in the last decade. So, but I know her videos are still out there because I've shown some girls. So, I mean, if you, if you Google like real baton twirling <laughs> and not just like the girls in the white boots, 
um, you can find some really neat stuff that you're like, I, I didn't even know, like it, this is, you know, this should be in the circus and it actually is in Cirque du Soleil. So there's, there's like a lot of stuff that, um, we can do with batons. It's just every time you see it on TV, it's like the little girls in the parade or, um, some like not oh like if you saw Miss Congeniality like the nonsense where <laughs> she's just like like strutting around but the person who um who played the actual like when she actually did the baton twirling I actually know that person and she used to be the twirler at UT so oh, okay. it was it was a really fantastic like um or she she used to twirl there and she still is very fantastic at twirling um but if you watch the movie. And you see, like, where the stunt double is, like, you can tell because all of a sudden she starts twirling for real and it's like amazing twirling. Wow. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, you're <laughs> right, though. In, in Cirque du Soleil, I just saw, uh, I think for the seventh or eighth time, I just saw Ka, which is the Cirque du Soleil show over at the MGM Grand here in Vegas. Oh, yeah. And there is some baton twirling in that, too. Uh huh. Yeah. I had forgotten all about that until you mentioned it. But yeah, there absolutely is. And there there are some amazing um, people out there that are just so focused on what they're doing and they do it so well that regardless, even if you can't get into what the art is, like I'm not into cheerleading, but when I watch those competitions, I'm like, I'm just so blown away by not just the talent yeah. or how well they pull it off, but I know how much work it takes to get to that point. And I know how mm -hmm. much focus and dedication and camaraderie and there's so much to that. It's so far just beyond being able to flip and being in sync with each other. I mean, it's you're a family, you're you're a unit. And uh, that's something that you don't get in a lot of other aspects of life. You certainly don't get that working in an office. Yeah, it's it's so funny when um, when I am working, <laughs> I still work in an office I and I really like my job. But it's so funny. Uh, using the things I learned like growing up twirling and knowing that you have to train people how to do stuff. And it's almost like that art in itself has been lost. Like when I train people and then they'll send me an IM or something, they're like, Hey, I have a question. Um, I'm so sorry. This stupid question. I'm like, there, no, it's not a stupid question. If you're asking it's cause you don't know, that doesn't mean it's stupid. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it, it drives me crazy when I see that. And then it's like, well, it's probably cause I grew up my whole life being like, okay, how does this trick work? Cause I've tried it a million times and it still doesn't work. So, right. Yeah. 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 Well, let's look at this just a little bit from a, a different angle. What are the expenses of being a twirler? Like what should you be looking at maybe saving up for, or what would be, um, just kind of how would you prepare to get into that world? You can make it pretty affordable or very expensive. Um, the biggest expense would probably be the costume. Mm -hmm. um, depending if you buy like a pre-made costume that's already rhinestone, you're probably looking between $400 and $600 wow. um, for a pretty well-made one. Yeah. Um, but there are like, if you're just starting, if you're still growing, I'll say that not even just starting, if you're still growing, get an unstone costume, rhinestone it yourself. <laughs> you're going to save tons of money. <laughs> I'm sure you can get a bedazzler on eBay for 20 or $30. <laughs> I'm my own bedazzler. Yeah. I like get the glue out and put it on myself. So. <laughs> my sister's like an ultimate, uh, rhinestoner. So oh, that's blue good. color. They're like, Marianne's a great stoner. <laughs> <laughs> and that can be taken the wrong way. Now, obviously, uh, 
you're you're only really going to be spending that kind of money if you're really planning on doing competitions where you really have to shine on every aspect, because I would imagine that that's part of what you're going to get judged on as well. Yeah, usually if you're serious about it, then it makes sense to spend that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also still get a very well-made costume. Uh, if you go on Facebook groups, um, look for like the buy, sell, trade things. Uh, we have our own twirling group costume exchange uh, like that twirlers all join um, it's very easy to find someone who's selling a costume if you go to a competition that's usually where you can get the best deals because they don't have to ship it you make the deal right there you can usually paypal it to the person right away and take the costume home with you and you can try it on so it's, um, there are so many ways that you can make it affordable and then of course the competitions especially if you're going to travel mm-hmm. i would say that that's a big expense um, but it's very easy to do fundraising for it. You'd be very surprised how many people will support uh, getting you to wherever you're going to compete. Yeah, I was going to say there's probably like uh, Kickstarters or Patreons or something like that for, for people mm-hmm. that are, you know, I mean, obviously you have to have a following of some extent because your family can yeah. just give you money, <laughs> you know, if they wanted. But but that's part of the trick of anything to make any kind of uh, fundraising account work these days. You have to have a following. And that yeah. that's a whole nother level that we could get into. But uh, what about so, I mean, obviously, there's probably entry fees, I would imagine, for the competitions. So usually the competition, like the entry fees, I would say the most I've ever I, like that I've seen my mom uh, spend was like maybe two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on what you're actually entering, I've seen it as low as 50. So it's it's not as big of an expense but if you're going to a lot then yeah you're going to see that add up real fast right especially if you're on the road because you've got you know food you're not going to yeah. be paying more for food you've got <laughs> hotel rental yeah. cars all that stuff you know uh it doesn't it, it adds up quick uh any any accessories to the costume that you have to replace often or that can get costly um so they're actually way more affordable now but uh tights like the um uh, they're, I'm trying to think of the other word, pa- like pantyhose. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of all the words that people use for it, but, uh, the tights that we put on our legs to like protect our legs and make them look smoother. Mm-hmm. Uh, those used to run like 15 bucks a pair. And, uh, based on our old costumes, we had these, uh, just the construction of them, um, would ruin the tights. And so my mom was like, please try to make this last the entire day. I don't have to spend like 60 bucks on tights for one competition. Yeah. Like you can control that though, right? Like you're just like, I'm just yeah, not going to move. Yeah, now it's perfectly fine. I will not move all day long. And yeah. <laughs> we, we had to change some tricks because um, the way that you put rhinestones on, it would have this thing that it was like a claw that held it down mm-hmm. and the little prongs on the claw would come up and um, when you would like do a leg hold, it would it would basically just rip the entire um, part of your tights off oh, and you're like, great. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Oh. Sharp object. And, yeah. Uh, so, Very easy to rip. Yeah. Now, what about the baton itself? What could people be looking at uh, for price range? So usually you'll see if you buy them in person, you're going to probably spend, um, I would say, probably 20 bucks, depending on where you get it. Um, I've seen them as expensive as $35. And if you go to Amazon, actually, I think it's like 25 usually. It, it varies a little bit, but I would say the average price is probably about 25 bucks. 
I'm surprised. I would have thought it was much more than that. I find it ironic oh, really? that that's like the least expensive thing in all of this is the, it's the, you know, <laughs> the like thing it's all about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Th- no, that's interesting. I would have thought that price range would have been more for like a toy or, you know, something entry level, but to have like, so there's really not like a professional baton level or it's, it's pretty like a simple instrument. Yes. And that's actually one thing. If you're going to go buy the toy baton, it's $11. Just spend 25 and get a real one. Yeah, right. <laughs> like it's, I'm like, don't buy those, like, a, the ones with the colored in. No, 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 no. Like, just go buy a real baton. <laughs> <laughs> the ones yeah. with, like, purple ends, they're not weighted at all. It's just, like, a metal tube, and it's very light, so you can't do anything with it. It's terrible. So uh, when people show up and they're like, I brought my own baton, I'm like, Okay, here's the Amazon link. <laughs> You're not using that <laughs> right, here. Yeah. yeah, when you come back next week, actually have Prime deliver it today. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. well, that that brings me to a, another question then. How do you know that you're picking the right baton? Because like you said, they're weighted differently. Um, how, do you, what, how do you know that you're purchasing the thing that's going to be right for you? So I think that it, it, it depends on the person, but um, from what I've been able to gather from I guess my years um one I like the ones that have I call them ditty dots I don't know they're like an indent like kind of little indentations um that mark the uh baton in uh two different places on the baton mm-hmm. so they're both like right off center and um those ones are nice because uh you can like um, when I actually put out this like video, I, uh, a lot of the times we have to grab either where our pinky's next to those dots or where our whole hand's on those dots. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of helps um, when you're learning. Uh, so I would say if you're young and you're learning, um, I would go for a thicker baton. Um, you can do the thin ones, but I've seen those ones break more than any other ones that I've seen. Like I've actually seen it break in half. Oh, wow. um, so I tell people get like the thicker one and then um, what you want to do to find out how long you want your baton. Cause if you think about it, you have to twirl like a, like not, you know, a little girl's not going to twirl one that's like 30 inches long. And then um, someone who is older isn't going to twirl one that's like 15 inches. Right. Uh, so you measure from your armpit to your middle finger. And I usually, round up an inch just to give myself some like growth. Right. Yeah. Because especially if you're younger, you're going to continue to grow. So you don't want to limit yourself too much. Yeah. But it's also not a huge expense. If you have to replace your baton, you're not out hundreds of dollars. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Wow. That's fascinating. I would have never guessed that, that, uh, the whole thing would have come together that way where, you know, your entry fee to one competition is probably going to be more than you paid for your baton. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone pay less. Wow. I'm surprised. I really am. That's cool, though. Uh, so let's let's uh, before we wrap up and I really meant to do this at the beginning. I'm so sorry, but we just got right into the twirling thing. Oh, let's, uh, let's talk about you a little bit, because you outside of twirling have had a pretty interesting life that twirling actually led you to. You were on the pageant circuit. Oh, yes. So, um, there is a pageant in Phoenix and it's probably the, and I think it is the very last one of its kind because it was grandfathered in by the Miss America organization. So it's called Miss Twirling Athlete and it's the last competition, um, pageant that was based on talent Mm -hmm. and they didn't allow that anymore after, um, 
it, it just basically kept too many people out of doing pageants. And you need at least four people to do a pageant in order to run it. And so because this pageant was grandfathered in, um, every year this uh, the one running it uh, always needed four people. And we had 16 girls down at University of Arizona. So they were like, hey, we don't – the lady sends an email to our coach and says – Hey, I don't have any girls. Like this, this pageant's going to get canceled. It's been going on for twenty years, and now I think it's like thirty-five years or something like that. Wow. Um, so she was like, you know, it's been going on for twenty years, and if we don't get contestants, then um, we won't be able to do it. So um, I look over at two of the girls, and I was like, you get, I can drive up there if you guys want to go. And they were like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So um, we have like extra dresses, and we go up to Phoenix and. Uh, from Tucson, we go up to Phoenix and I end up winning this match. <laughs> if like, if you knew me at the time, it was terrible. Like I, I've never done my hair except for, uh, football games or what I was twirling and usually somebody else did it for me. Right. Um, I was used to doing other people's hair. So I was like, what do I do? Like, this is, this is not my, you know, <laughs> this is not my area. <laughs> and then makeup, I used to like slab on, um, mind you this is like you know early 2000s i used to like dip my finger in silver eyeshadow and like rub it all over my eyes so um i get to this pageant and they're like yeah you got a you got a bunch of stuff you need to fix <laughs> and i was like wait what <laughs> so um they literally told me like you need to lose uh, you know 15 pounds and um you need to fix your hair you need to learn how to wear makeup and like clear up your face and all this stuff so was, for me i was like well, this is not off to a great start. <laughs> and uh, I didn't like the way they made me feel, really. Um, yeah. So when I started competing again, uh, my whole goal was just to make people, you know, it was, I was more there for the relationships, getting to know people, um, got to know like really interesting people and like people I just love knowing. Um, some people went on to be famous and um, I've had I have one that uh, she's going to come on my podcast, which is really cool. She does pop sugar. She's one of the hosts for it. Oh, okay. I've um, heard of I, that. I met her. Yeah. Really, really cool girl. I met her through um, the pageants. And so usually when I was doing the pageants, um, I never won one after that because I was like so focused on <laughs> like helping the other girls. Not like, oh, I'm so amazing. I was helping other people. I was just so uncomfortable. I was like, what can I do to help other people? Because that's where I feel comfortable. Um, right. So there was one time a girl's shoe broke and she starts crying. I was like, hold on. I, have, I was like, don't worry. I got a sewing kit. Like, let's just sew you back into your shoe. And um, <laughs> one time a girl, and this was the worst part. She was borrowing my dress and the zipper broke, right? When she was like standing at the door to go into the gym to compete. And um, she just like has this panic look on the face. And I'm already running back to my like suitcase that has like okay you know in case of emergency and i remember my mom sewed me into my baton costume once when it broke so i was like hey i already know what to do so i like literally stitched up this zipper so quickly and then i think we put um like a hair clip or it was like one of those binder clips um on the top and then put her hair over it so you couldn't see it so she goes out and like does her little modeling thing and answers her question and like leaves and it was like the dress basically fell off of her when she came back. <laughs> we were all like, it's baby. So those are like my memories. Like 
winning the pageant, I was like, this is terrible. Like they just made me feel so bad about myself. So, but then like my positive memories were like all the times when something crazy would happen and I could actually help people um, that way. And I ended up running one of the pageants too, which was, it was fun, but I'll never do it again. (laughs) Um, There was just, everyone had so many expectations of me and I was young. So I couldn't, I couldn't really appreciate, um, what I was given, like, I, I felt like I did fine and I learned a ton from it, but I didn't do it the way they wanted to do it. So again, they didn't make me feel great about it, but oh. like my contestants, we all got along great. I still talked to the, um, to three of the four girls who won, um, you know, it's like, we still talk to each other, um, a lot on Facebook. So, it was like that. I liked the relationships way more. So I wasn't really like a pageant girl, but I did enough in the pageant world that people associate that to me. And right, I'm like, yeah. oh, that was such a long time ago. Now I can't. I can't <laughs> imagine trying to twirl in a ball gown. Would that be difficult? Um. So I. It is. It's very difficult. But, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, luckily, they let me change my costume. But I remember. Um somebody who didn't know much about baton twirling. Uh, one time he came with me uh, because I had to drive to Phoenix and back twice in a weekend. And I knew I wasn't going to make it back because I was going to be so tired because I had to be up like early in the morning and then I was going to be coming back late at night. Um, so then he watched it and he was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that that level of like talent was available. And that was another thing. I usually did pageants, like any other types of pageants I did. I always did to win the talent portion. So then I could get the uh, reward money for winning talent. And it usually covered my entry fee. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so smart, I was though. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's just it. I use your talent for the things that are going to work to your advantage, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But I think in... in Correct me if you disagree, but it seems to me that a lot of times those big events that we get involved in, and I've been involved with some concerts and different things, but it seems to me it, the the memories aren't about the event itself as much as the experience of the event, the people that we're involved with and the, you know, the crowd and, you know, those sort of things seem to be more um, important than the reason that we were brought together to begin with. Yeah, I could definitely say that's 100% accurate. Um, I remember, uh, like, when I think of things I did because of twirling, one of them was a fundraiser that we used to do, and it was for uh, this organization called Casa de los Niños in Tucson. And I couldn't tell you a ton about the actual event. Like, I could probably, if I thought about it, I could. But I remember... I got to talk to the people who ran the whole thing. So they got to organize the whole thing. And I got to learn about running um, events like through these people. And I was just thinking like, man, if it weren't for twirling, I never would have had this opportunity. Right. Um, so it's just like the opportunities that I've had from twirling and like having that passion, but then also like loving people and like being able to, I could go up to anybody and just talk to them and, like be fine with them. People are like, Oh my gosh, do you know who that is? And I was like, no, you know, I was like, no, who? And, um, but the times where it was really cool when you are talking to somebody who, if you knew that they were the CEO of something, or if you knew that and you were so focused on that, instead of just talking to the person, you wouldn't learn most of the things that got them to that position because you're so focused on like, wow, look at this person. So whether you're like the janitor or you're the CEO, 
I'm, I'm going to come up and talk to you the same exact way because that's how you get to know um, the real person. And it's you're not just talking to them because of, you know, because of who they are or what they do. Those things might have put you in the same room together. But, yeah. you know, that's one of the things that I love about listening to interviews and podcasts and things, too, is because you do get to know the person as as much as, as the thing that they're known for. Like, I've learned interesting things about the people that you've brought on their show or your show that are not just about the twirling, but just like in their background. And I'm like, wow, this yeah. person is actually really cool. And <laughs> they twirl. And, you know. Uh, and I love that. I And I love that the conversations on your show are very organic. I mean, there's some podcasts I've listened to, and, and I really try not to do this, but <laughs> they sound so much like I wrote 10 questions down. I have to get through these 10 questions. Okay, you answered it on to the next one. And there's no real follow up. There's no dialogue. Yeah. It's just a question and answer thing. And it's like the, the interviewer doesn't even care what the answer was. They just had to hit that question. <laughs> I yeah, can't stand I've, that. I've heard that. Yeah, it drives me nuts. I'm like, you you actually got this person to take some time out of their life to be on your show and you're just not even listening to them. Like that just, to me, drives me nuts. <laughs> it really does. But your show is very, very enjoyable to listen to. I've learned to have so much more respect. Well, thank I mean, you. <laughs> it's not that I, I ever didn't respect the twirling world. It's just, I it was never something I had really explored. And listening to your mm -hmm. show, I've learned so much about it and gained so much respect. Um, I I really hope that more people listen to it. So everyone who's listening, uh, after you're done listening to my show, then go over to uh, Apple Podcasts and listen to the Baton Twirling Podcast. Now, I listen to it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, where else can it be found? You said YouTube. It's on YouTube, right? Um, yeah, so I have it uploaded to, I think it shows up on Facebook, on Twitter. I think I need to reconnect my Twitter account because while I was in my pregnancy stage, I um, <laughs> I didn't do it for a while. So it like disconnected to Twitter. But anyway, um, then so we had YouTube and then Instagram. Oh, no, I put it on Instagram just whenever a new um, episode comes up. And then I have a blog that you can listen through it. Um, it's all on Spreaker though. It's, um, S P R E A K E R. Oh, okay. Uh, so it kind of sends it out to all the mediums. So search it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so cool the way it's, uh, we can just reach all these different places with, uh, just doing one thing. Um, I have to manually do some of mine, but like my show typically automatically goes to YouTube. There was some problems there with the, my host and YouTube for a while. Um, that seems to be cleared up, but, but yeah, you just, you do your thing, you upload it and the thing goes, okay, well it needs to go here and here and here and here and here. And it just does it all for you. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Cause I don't have that kind of patience anymore. I have a hard enough time doing the hashtags. Oh yeah. Like if this, then that is also a really, really fun thing to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking some time out. I am keeping my fingers crossed that you guys make it into the Olympics because I think that you'll see a big <laughs> resurgence. I, ha I have been hearing since I think it was the 88 Olympics that uh, people have been trying to get miniature golf into the Olympics. And the only thing that can cool. creep into my head is how the hell do you qualify to be an Olympic gold medalist miniature golfer? Like, where is the line? <laughs> Like you have to get it into the clown's nose in one shot or you know, like there's so many questions that come with that. But I see baton twirling being very much uh, viable in the Olympics. And I'm I'm honestly sad that it hasn't been there already. Yeah, the closest is rhythmic gymnastics. But if mini golf makes it in before baton twirling, I'm going to have 
you know, I'm just going to put a whole episode out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, have me on for that one, but maybe, Oh, you bet. (laughs) Maybe that would be your impetus for getting it in. Like, look, if you're going to let these people in and nothing against miniature golf, I love miniature golf. Oh yeah. It's super fun. (laughs) Here in Vegas, we have kiss miniature golf. We have the twilight zone miniature golf course at Bally's, which I absolutely love. We have a little really easy one over at circus circus. I love miniature golf, but come on. Really? Yeah. We have Peter Pan miniature golf in Austin, too. It's like a oh, famous landmark here. <laughs> that sounds fun. Now I'm going to have to come back to Texas one of these days, even just for that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you the greatest of continued success with your show and with the Olympics and everything you have going on. I love that you're keeping this art alive, that you're spreading the word, and that you're helping new people find a passion for it because I think especially for young kids these days with all the digital distractions, I think it's great to have something that's very physical and and they can build a skill and really teach themselves confidence and uh, the ability to perform in front of people. There's so many things that are great about twirling that I, I think just kind of go unchecked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's just kind of fun because I'm trying to find all these other outlets to kind of promote baton twirling and, mm-hmm. um, you know, even explain it to people who don't know anything about it. If, um, for anybody who is listening and you're like, I don't understand anything you talked about Let me know <laughs> right. because I want to explain it. I, I want to clear up some of the confusion too around it and just kind of get more people being like, well, I know about baton twirling. So I'm glad you you had me on. And if you really don't get it, uh, we've given a plethora of Google uh, searches to go check it out. Yeah. And even just while we were talking, <laughs> I just did a quick uh, search on YouTube. I just typed in baton twirling and I got a huge amount of hits. I didn't look at any of the videos yet, obviously, but there's just a ton of stuff to to look at to really understand the art. And it is an art. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. So uh, thank you for uh, for keeping it alive. I think you're doing great. Thank you. Now, when you get your class up and running... Uh, your online class, shoot me over the link and I'll promote it on the show so everybody knows that it's available. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to hopefully record it this weekend. So I'll oh. I'll definitely let you know. Oh, sweet. Well, by the time, it might even be in the show notes then by the time it shares. <laughs> we'll see. But if not, it'll follow awesome. shortly after. Well, thank you, Sarah. You take care. Keep in touch and let me know if there's anything I can do to help keep it alive. Thanks. You too. <laughs> take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's right, folks. Sarah Rudin, the Baton Twirling Podcast. Go check it out on Apple Podcasts and YouTube and anywhere that you listen, uh, search for it there. But I know that you can find it in those two places. It is not on my Podbean app, which is okay. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. Thank you, Sarah Rudin, for coming on the show and sharing all this wonderful information with us. I will see you guys again next week with another episode or two episodes. I'm not sure. We'll see but time will tell. It'll come out soon. Cheers. 